The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. Imagine growing a business with high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, and wildly happy customers. It's not a miracle. It's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Hello, my friends, and welcome to a very special episode of Negotiate Anything. I'm Kwame Christian. I'm your host, and I'm the CEO of the American Negotiation Institute. And today, what we're going to do is we are going to explore a powerful story of a father and son, Jay and Sean Bloom, who survived the Ocean Gate submarine incident. Jay Bloom is a billionaire financier with an incredible reputation in the business world, and his son, Sean Bloom, is an up-and-coming entrepreneur with a number of successful business ventures. They were offered the opportunity to come on the Ocean Gate sub, and thankfully, they passed on that opportunity, but it wasn't easy. And in this episode, they talk about the difficult conversations that they had with each other and with the CEO of Ocean Gate that helped to save their lives. Both Jay and Sean have a lot of business experience and negotiation experience, and they were able to apply those skills to these conversations, and it led to the best decision that they ever made. The Blooms have a lot of negotiation experience, and they were able to use that negotiation experience in this context to save their lives. And what we want to do with this episode is tie it back to your life to make it relevant for you, because we've all been in situations where we might have felt pressured to do something that we didn't feel comfortable with. And they help to highlight some of those skills that can help us to set effective barriers and have these difficult conversations more effectively. Because the reality is, sometimes the best thing we can say in difficult conversations and negotiations is no. If you're a listener of the podcast, you know our motto at the American Negotiation Institute. We believe the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And in this episode, we're going to explore how you can use these difficult conversations to set effective boundaries, gather information, and make good decisions. And if you're new to this podcast, welcome. Thanks for joining us. And I want to give a brief disclaimer. This episode is raw. And so what I mean by that is that we did minor edits because I wanted to get this to you as quickly as possible. And so this is probably going to be the fastest turnaround we've ever had on a podcast episode, which is exciting, but I'm also asking for a little bit of grace when it comes to the audio quality. We were not in the studio when we were making this recording, and so the audio quality isn't what it usually is, and the introduction isn't as clean as it usually is. It's really conversational. So you will be joining this interview right when I meet Sean and Jay for the first time. So consider that a little bit of a behind the scenes sneak peek onto how we lead into these interviews and the chit chat that happens beforehand. I'm really excited to share this one with you. So without further ado, let's jump into the interview. Hello, hello. Hey, what's going on, guys? Yeah. Hey, not too much. Good to see both of you. Nice to meet you. Good to see you as well. I appreciate both of you taking the time. I, I know this has been a pretty wild week or so for you. How are y'all doing? We're doing okay. We're doing okay. That's it's, good. It's, it's uh, starting to settle in. It's been a kind of a bit of a roller coaster the last two weeks. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I would imagine. Your story is such a great example of the power of effective communication and persuasive communication. So that's really what I want to highlight. So I, I don't want you to feel forced to, to be technical. Um, I, it's really more about the human side for me. But I know 
you're you're in business. Both of you are in business. And there are probably some corollaries in the way that you communicated in business and this conversation too. So where it makes sense, let's make the connection, but don't feel forced to, to create a nexus between business and this if, if there isn't one. No, I think there's I think there's an opportunity to make connections all throughout the story. I mean, when Stockton comes back and offers me a hundred thousand dollars discount per ticket. You know, in terms of negotiation, that's certainly a, that's definitely a negotiation tactic. Oh, that's good. That's a good call. If I raise a safety concerns, it's not a price point issue. And when you start addressing my safety concerns with dropping the price, it's more of a red flag <laughs> and a negotiation. Wow. From a negotiation perspective, that's uh, the exact wrong thing to be doing. Yeah. Bingo. Bingo. No, that's great. Because I, I think the angle is like you, you all clearly have a good relationship. There's that relationship side. Then there's the critical conversation between you two, but then also the business side there. So it's like, as you're having these conversations, yeah, we want to make good deals. Yeah, it'd be great to get 100K off. But also these are red flags that you should pick up on. And and I think that's really, really powerful. Well, yeah. And if, yeah. if, if we're paying 250000 a seat, that's right, a half a million dollars. And we say we think we might die if we do this. And he says, "Well, then, all right, it's only three hundred thousand instead of five hundred thousand. That's not addressing the concern of the other party. Not at all. This started last week when uh, when um, uh, I th- I thought uh, I-, I found that the sub had been lost and everybody on board was lost. And and I-, I posted to my personal Facebook page for my circle of friends. Hey, here's some text that I here's a text exchange that I had with Stockton Rush, and you know." We were one decision away from from that being us. Wow. And, um, you know, and, and my final thought was, listen, tomorrow is not promised, right? Live today like you don't know if tomorrow is coming because it, it might, you know, for all of us, one day it won't. Yeah. Right? And, and um, you know, it really made it made us sit back and reflect on how we how we prioritize things in our lives and and um, kind of change my perspective on what's really important. Mm-hmm. So in that regard, you know, when I posted that Thursday night, I hit post and, and went to sleep and Friday morning, my phone was ringing off the table because somebody, somehow the, some media picked it up and it just propagated and uh, went viral. And I think we've probably done 50 interviews in the last couple of days. This all started with a Facebook post and then kind of blew up from there over the last couple of days. But and there was now no- here. There was no end goal. There's no end game other than just kind of creating, creating awareness. And, uh, you know, it's, I think Sean may have sent it to me. There was a speaker that was addressing a, a group and he said, if I were to offer you $10 million, how many people would take it? And yeah. every hand in the room went up and they said, what if I told you that means that tomorrow you don't wake up and every hand went down yeah. and he said, so what you're telling me is tomorrow is worth more than $10 million to you. Yeah. I'm like, that's, Pretty deep. Yeah, actually. I know. I saw that on Facebook too. <laughs> wow. Oh, this is good. No, this is great. Cause this is, so let me give you context too. Cause this, this ties into it as well, because our, our motto is we believe the best things in life are on the other side of difficult conversations. And I mean, that ties in perfectly with, with this. Yeah, it's all part of it. Yeah. Well, I mean, my favorite, my favorite expression, it was uh, Thomas Jefferson and then it was got co-opted by Albert Einstein. But my favorite expression is out of adversity comes opportunity. Right. And, and uh, I've always been a contrarian and when everybody's in a panic and selling, that's when I'm buying. And when everybody's euphoric and, and buying, that's when I'm selling because markets are more, are more emotion than fundamentals. I mean, mm-hmm. 
everybody panics, it gets oversold. When everybody gets crazed about buying, it gets, it gets overbought. And that's really where I think the opportunities are. Absolutely. Oh, this is gold. This is gold. Well, let's flow into it. Um, welcome to the show, guys. <laughs> How about you uh, just get us started with, with a quick introduction and then we'll, we'll flow into it. Great. Sounds good. Great. So how about we start with you, Sean? Yeah, no. So um, I uh, just introduction about myself and business and stuff like that. Yeah. Basically, yeah. So um, I started really young, actually. Um, I helped him raise capital for one of his first projects when we came out to Vegas, one of his first bigger ones. And we started partnering up probably when I was 15 or 16 initially is when we started partnering on all the projects we did together. Um, and, uh, I've, I've been in business for a long time, built up a really insane network of people that I'm really grateful for. And ever since we did our first project together, we've just been kind of running through a wide variety of industries. And, um, yeah, it's been, it's, it's been insane the people I've met doing this and I've been able to establish relationships with a lot of billionaires and, and tech people that I got really close with. And, uh, it's, it's been really incredible. It's been really incredible. My, my big thing was, um, helping companies grow basically from the bottom and up and raising capital and all that stuff. And that was, that was my, my big thing. And that was a kind of a niche I found for myself. And we ended up working really well together. I started off super young. I realized I could plug my network into whatever he was doing and it kind of worked perfectly on all ends. That's incredible. And I, and let me let me tell you a, a selfish thing for me, but that I I appreciate about this because I, I have two boys, love them to death, and so it, it's really cool to see the the fact that clearly you all have a great relationship, but also you're able to work well together in business. That's just really encouraging. Yeah, it's always it's always it's always been it's always been us. I mean, we, we every project we've ever done, um, we've had a few partners here and there, but mostly it's 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 just been the two of us, just kind of navigating stuff together, you know, and figuring stuff out, dealing with stuff and, and just building, you know, it's always just right. been us. That's great. That is great. Well, thank you. And, and Jay, tell us about yourself too. So, uh, I'm originally from New York. Um, my background is banking and finance. Uh, my undergraduate is from Rutgers university and my MBA is from Fordham university and Lincoln center, uh, in Manhattan. Um, I came out of school, went to work for a global bank. At the time, it was called Manufacturers Hanover Trust. Today, it's J.P. Morgan Chase. Um, and uh, I spent 10 years at the bank, my last several years in real estate. Uh, I left the bank right at the time um, uh, uh, Chase and J.P. Morgan merged and uh, started a company uh, actually with my wife, um, uh, kind of like a PPO network for companion animals. And we sold membership through employee benefits programs uh, at Fortune 500 companies. So um, exited that and um, had a series of everything from startups to mid-cap acquisitions. Um, had some uh, some luck in uh, um, a, a healthy outcome from a, a real estate fund that I had put together. And uh, that brings me to today. Um, Today I'm looking at a, a large development project, a 4,200 unit uh, complex that we're building, uh, or that we will be building, and and um, uh, and also I'm, I'm leading an investment group for a potential NBA expansion franchise in Vegas. Um, wow! And then I do some international metals trading as well. 
That's fascinating. This is really, this is really interesting. And I know I'm, for me, um, with being a business nerd, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to go down the business rabbit hole. <laughs> There's so much to explore. There's a lot going on. Yeah. It's a whole other conversation. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Does your company invest in professional development training? If you believe that your team would benefit from a negotiation workshop, all you need to do is go to our website, fill out the workshop request form, and then we'll set up a time to chat. These workshops are completely customizable and we've done them all around the country. Negotiation and conflict resolution skills are beneficial across all professions, but they're especially useful in procurement, purchasing, sales, sourcing, and contract management. Our calendar is filling up quickly and we even have some workshops scheduled for next year. If you think you might want one, I'd suggest reaching out soon so you don't miss out. Check out the link in the description to learn more. And we will be right back after this. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by TIAA. In the last 100 years, we've seen financial markets swing, new currencies come and go, decades of savings lost in days, all showing that a retirement plan without a guarantee, quite simply, isn't enough. So more than a retirement plan, TIAA makes you a retirement promise, a promise of a guaranteed retirement paycheck for life, a promise that pays off. Learn more at TIAA.org backslash promises pay off. The LinkedIn Podcast Network is sponsored by HubSpot. More to-dos, less time, and so many tools to keep track of. Doing business can be hard, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You just need HubSpot. Their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, higher quality leads, fast closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today. Well, let's talk about what brought us here today. Can you set the stage for, for from your perspective? Because I think everybody... Looking at the news, we see it from the, the media narrative that has been created. But I would love to hear just from the, the moment this was brought to your consciousness to now, just let us know the, the story from your perspective. Yeah. So I, I met Stockton Rush from Oceangate maybe, uh, maybe a year ago. And uh, he told me what he was doing. And I thought it was pretty interesting. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm all about experiences. I believe life is a series of moments, right? And we're just, all we are is a collection of our experiences. And so, you know, experiences to me are more important than things because that's something that you always keep, you know, things come and go, but those, those memories of, of kind of the experiences you have are just uh, gold, right? It's who we are. So um, I love stuff like this. And when, when Stockton told me that he's taking people down to the Titanic and he said less than 200 people have been to the dive site. More people have been in space than down to the Titanic. So it sounded like it was right up my alley and uh, something really exciting to do. And uh, in addition, Sean here was um, a huge fan of the Titanic story ever since he was a child. He used to study it up and have me quiz him on questions like I know everything about the Titanic. Yeah. So I thought it'd be great to provide the opportunity to bring him down as well as it'd be a great experience for both of us to kind of have uh, you know, in our holster. Um, so, uh, I expressed, uh, interest with Stockton last year and it was kind of conceptual up until about February of this year. 
And in February, Stockton started to look to me to set a date. And um, we were talking about it, but Sean and his friend started to research it and started to see things that they found concerning that they brought to my attention. A bunch of red flags. And, and um, I was concerned, I joined them and the, shared their concern and I brought it back to Stockton. And uh, Stockton uh, told me, it's uh, safer than flying helicopters. I'm a helicopter pilot, um, so I fly helicopters recreationally. So he said, it's safer than flying helicopters. It's safer than uh, scuba diving. He said, you know, everything in life has risks, but uh, if you want to avoid all risks, just stay in bed. Don't get out of bed, right? And uh, so I, I raised some of the safety concerns. He kind of negated them, and then he said, I'll come out and see you. And he flew out to see me um, in March. And in March, he, he, uh, he actually took me through the Titanic exhibition at the Luxor. So we walked the exhibition together and then we had lunch. And over lunch, he explained to me what the, what the expedition would be like and what, what goes on and what to expect. And again, he was looking for a date for me. And, um, and then we talked about the safety concerns and he said, you know, it's as safe as crossing the street. You know, you, what happens is, yeah, I know. <laughs> well, he said, the, the, the thing with our industry, uh, he's talking about this private submersible industry, he said the thing with our industry is it's way over-engineered and money is spent needlessly on safety because of that over-engineering. So, uh, for example, that viewing window in the sub, the manufacturer spec says it's safe to 1,500 meters. Yeah. The Titanic is 4,500 meters deep. But in Stockton's mind, it was... Uh, really not going to fail until about 10,000 meters. So the 4,500 was still in that safety margin, even though the manufacturer spec was no deeper than 1,500 meters. And that's kind of how he viewed things, right? That mm. it, was, it was over-engineered and unnecessarily burdensome in terms of expense. So he would like go off the re his reality of the situation and not manufacturer specs. And, you know, he operated in international waters so he didn't have any over, any regulatory oversight. And um, when people started talking to him about, um, you know, the dangers in what he was doing, his response was along the lines of, uh, well, that's your opinion and I have my opinion and you're wrong and I'm right. When you really suffered from confirmation bias, right? So he was so passionate about what he was doing that it blinded him to the reality of the situation. So when I say confirmation bias, what I mean by that is, Anybody who came to him with a fact that supported his predisposition, he would accept no matter how ridiculous the fact was. And anybody that brought him a fact, no matter how credible that refuted his position, he would dismiss it as differing opinion that was incorrect. Mm -hmm. yeah, so, Well, like well, when, when me and my friend Simon told him about the safety concerns, he called us uh, the misinformed. And he just started saying like, they don't know what they're talking about. Um, this and that, and then that was ultimately our our concerns that he raised to Stockton was the reason Stockton came to Vegas to see him to persuade him that it was safe, that it was good to go, that me and my friend were wrong, and uh, luckily he listened to us and we didn't go. And uh, Stockton, in an attempt to get us to go, uh, discounted the price per person about a hundred thousand dollars per seat to try and get us to go. There's the negotiation side of everything, <laughs> trying to get us to go. Well, and, and in terms of a negotiation tactic, if my concerns are we're going to die on this thing, 
lowering the price is not addressing it's not the issue. Help, yeah. <laughs> it doesn't address the issue. Yeah. Um, so, and, and Stockton, you know, he, you can see in the text that I shared on my Facebook account that the media picked up, you can see Stockton was, was trading off of the safety record of the industry. And he said the non-Navy uh, or, or private diving, um, private submersibles have been around for 35 years with no injuries, much less deaths. Yep. Right. And what he did is he relied on that safety record of an industry whose guidelines he disregarded in his yeah. operations for the last year or two. Right. So, you know, it was, it was apples and oranges. He was doing things very differently from the industry whose safety record he was, he was touting. There is so much to explore here. So much to explore here. And I think when you, when you look at this and you analyze the way that you all approach this and the conversations that you had and compare it to people who were not, I don't, I want to be very sensitive with the way that I say this. You all were able to recognize the red flags through these difficult conversations and make adjustments and set that barrier and say no. And we're recognizing his persuasion tactics. What do you think made him so effective in other conversations? Because he believed what he was saying. He was he he had the conviction of of this project. He had um, he drank his own Kool Aid, right? I mean, he was on the sub that went down. He believed what he said. Uh, he was just blinded by his passion for the project to the realities of the situation, right? And I think you know Sean is a lot more critical than uh, some of the other people. So as, as enticing as the opportunity was, um, you know, he still wanted to look at it and make sure that it was uh, safe and he raised some concerns uh, that, you know, when, I, when he raised them, I shared. And then Stockton disregarded. As yeah. a different opinion, that was incorrect. Yeah, misinformed. I want to key in on that, that word, misinformed, because yeah. that is, that's very telling in a lot of different ways, because that in itself is a persuasion tactic. Because when you think about authority, who technically has more authority in this conversation as it relates to knowledge of the industry? It would be him. He's the one who's been in it for a long time. Right. And so you've done your homework, you've researched and, and you've seen these red flags. Yeah. And so really, in a lot of ways, what we're playing here is a confidence game. Because Jay, like you said, the passion of his conviction He's very persuasive because he genuinely believes it and he, he is passionate about what he believes in. And it seems like in a lot of these conversations, other people could be persuaded not only by that passion, but also they could start to question themselves and say, well, he has the experience. Who am I to question somebody with that much experience? I didn't care. That's why I questioned it. <laughs> I, 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 knew, I, knew he, I knew he was wrong. I was like, there's no way... You look at the people that have gone down there, like James Cameron and Robert Ballard, the guy that found the Titanic, and you look at the equipment they use to get to that part of the ocean, the bottom of the ocean, like it's no joke when you have tens of millions of pounds of pressure pushing up against you and anything can go wrong at any second. So um, when I looked into it, I found that video that's been floating around all over the media. Now I found this early when it had almost no views. It was a video of Stockton explaining how the submarine worked and how it was controlled. I'm sure you've seen it. He shows this little like 1990 Logitech game controller thing. Looks like an Xbox controller, kind of like an old one. 
And he's like, this is how the entire submarine is operated. And there's like one touch screen. And then, and then it's just like, I, the, the, not only the first red flag was the way the submarine was controlled, but also the structural integrity of the submarine. It was, it had, it was made out of carbon fiber. Carbon fiber shatters like glass when it's put up against that kind of pressure. And you're going to take that to the bottom of the ocean and shove five people plus into it. Like red flags all over the place. Well, and that's all over the place. When he came out to see me in March, uh, he said he was flying, he was flying himself in. Oh, another red flag. Yeah. He was coming into North Las Vegas airport. Yeah. I thought that was strange. Most people come into, used to be McCarran, now it's Harry Reid International. Mm -hmm. They come into Henderson Executive when you fly private. Those those are really where you go. Yeah. So I asked him why he was going to North Las Vegas. And he said, well, he's flying in on a two-seater experimental aircraft that he built. And I said, I'm a pilot. I don't think I would get on his aircraft. An experimental right. aircraft. So, and, and I thought about it. And I said, this guy is flying in on a two-seater experimental aircraft that he built to pitch me on a five-seater experimental sub that he built to go to the bottom of the Atlantic Ocean. And I'm like, if I wouldn't get on his aircraft, should I really get on his sub? Exactly. Right. So he didn't lend credibility by saying he was flying in on an experimental aircraft that he built. No, yeah, that made the whole situation worse for sure. Yeah. Hey, Sean, I want to dig into one of the things that you said, because I, I don't want to gloss over the depth of it, because yeah. one of the things that you said was when he was con- coming to you with authority and passion, you didn't care. When he called you misinformed, you didn't care. And that is something that is rare, because a lot of times we care about things that we shouldn't care about. And that puts unnecessary pressure on us and leads us to make bad decisions. And when you think about the like stoicism, we have to, we have to think about the philosophy of stoicism and the fact that it, with stoic philosophy, we're maintaining a focus on the things that are within our control, but also making sure that we're disregarding the things that don't matter as much. And so it is an art form, it's a skill, and it takes a strong person to be able to not care about somebody else's opinion of them in one of these difficult conversations. So I want yeah. to dig into that mentality a little bit more to, to see if we can break down how you were able to be that resilient in that moment so other people could kind of replicate that in, in their yeah. difficult conversations. Yeah, I'm, I'm, um, I'm typically critical of a lot of situations that we find ourselves in. We do a lot of fun stuff you know we hang out with a lot of people i'm very critical of people i'm very critical of opportunities i'm I'm just overall a critical person because i don't i don't trust people know what they're talking about i don't trust people are telling the truth most of the time um people will say anything to get whatever it is they want out of you you know what i mean um and then in this particular situation i mean in my head it was a no-brainer because i i knew stockton really believed in what he's doing and i'm no submarine expert obviously at all. all all i did was some google searches watch some youtube videos and i i just you know i didn't think it took a genius to see that this was obviously not a good situation and um one of the craziest parts about this actually um when the news came out that the sub went missing our two running theories before i get into like why i you know was opposing well, stockton three three running theories. yeah three running theories was uh the sub probably got stuck in the titanic because it went because uh, Stockton liked to go inside the Titanic a little bit. There was a little hole in the Titanic, so we thought it either got stuck. Um, these, I only had two. I mean, there was a third one, but I only had two. And the the second theory was it just straight up imploded from the pressure. 
Right. So those were, those were the two the running third, theories we the had. Third, the third theory is that they were floating at the top and lost radio communication, just waiting to be found. Yeah, I didn't mm-hmm. think that. I didn't think that. The consequences of the three, if they were floating at the top waiting to be found, this is another red flag. Yeah. The hatch that goes on the, on the sub bolts on with 18 bolts from the outside. Yeah. You cannot open the hatch from the, the inside. inside. Yeah. And it's, 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 it's airtight. Yeah. And it's sealed. So if they were floating around at the top of the, they could, they could be above the water line and still suffocate on the sub because they can't get out. Right. So that's, that's one potential outcome. The second potential outcome is, uh, it imploded on the way down, which turned out is actually, that bad. was my running theory. That's exactly then, what I was going to tell Stockton. I and, thought was going to happen, but and then the, he, the third, the third concern is they went down to the bottom, they reached the wreck and then they, there is a hole inside of the Titanic where you can see the ground ballroom and Stockton would put the nose of the sub in to steal, you know, to show the inside of the Titanic. Yeah. And if they did that, the wreckage is 111 years old and it's decaying. If something fell on the sub, they'd be trapped. They'd be there. trapped under the sub. And yeah. the consequences of that's the worst outcome of all because they lose power. Without power, they have no light. So it's pitch black. They have no heat. So it's 31 degrees. They have no food and water, and they all they have is the knowledge that their oxygen is going to run out in a couple of days. Mm. So that was the that was the, the worst of of the scenarios. Obviously, the best is they were floating around top and got found. Yeah, but I never I never thought that. But uh, what happened is tragic as it as it is that it imploded. The implosion happened in in less than a millisecond. The brain takes twenty milliseconds to process a reflex, so it just cut yeah, to black. They never knew what happened. Yeah. And at least that's merciful and a much better outcome than getting stuck at the bottom. Basically, yeah. Yeah. Sorry I didn't answer your question. It kind of skewed off into something else. But I just thought it was important to talk about why not only I thought it would be a bad idea to go, but also the running theories we had turned out to be true, which my number one thing was that it imploded. And I think it was his too. So to answer your question overall, um, it, it was, it, it was, it was mainly, it was, it was mainly because I knew, I didn't think Stockton had enough experience, even though he claimed to have had experience. I think that this, he's, he's gone down there. How many times did he go down there total? Like twice. he went down there like twice. Well, he went down there three times last year, according to one source. And this would have been the first voyage this year. And I just didn't think he went down there enough times. That was, that was another red flag for me. I think James Cameron and Bob Bowden, all these people have gone, to deep parts of the ocean hundreds of times like and, and Stockton's only done it a couple of times in this little thing like I just there wasn't enough experience there wasn't enough background my, my mm-hmm. takeaway my takeaway from from your question is that no matter how well educated or well versed somebody is in a topic their judgment can be clouded by their emotion if they're coming from a passion from a place of passion and not reason they can draw the wrong conclusion no matter how experienced they are and I, that's what happened to Stockton. Yeah. Yeah. Basically. Definitely. And I, I think one of the major takeaways that I want listeners to get from this is when it's appropriate to be persuaded and when it's not appropriate to be persuaded. Because what we're seeing here is he was giving you a lot of in, attempts to influence with passion and confidence, but not much substance. And so we have to be able to stay focused and recognize there's a difference between information and influence. And so those attempts to influence, we should ignore those attempts. And Sean, like you said, I don't care about that. Um, I need information and I'm, I'm light on information now. And I think a, a way to make this really clear to the audience is, is this. Let, let's flip the situation. Let's say you're having the conversation and he uses a different approach 
what would it have taken for him to persuade both of you to go down? I, I wouldn't have been persuaded just because of the operation. There, there wasn't enough experience. There was too many risks and dangers. And again, the way the submarine was controlled, that was a huge red flag for me. He, I don't think he could have persuaded me to go. And that's why we ultimately ended up not going. For me, him, maybe. For me, him, for maybe. Me, for, for me, no. For me, it would be independent, third-party, objective, dispassionate review and comment. He had that. He no had way. that. He did, and everyone said it wasn't safe. Well, he had people telling oh. you there's people at Ocean Gate that said it yeah. wasn't safe. Okay, so, okay, so yeah, third-party, independent, dispassionate review and approval saying it's yes, safe. an approval. Exactly. That's that's what would do it. Look, if 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 I want to go to space. I would go with Elon Musk. I would go with uh, Jeff Bezos. I would go with with um, Richard Branson. Branson, because they're well funded and they have the resources and and, and the expertise and and the, the talent to do it safely, right? But if you called me and said, "Hey, I built a rocket in my backyard. Let's go," yeah. I'd be like, "Have a nice flight. Yep, and maybe I'll see you if you come back." Yeah, <laughs> right. Right. Stockton was more like you building a rocket in your backyard. Yeah, basically. Yeah. See, I, I think this is so crucial because. Sometimes people come to me and they say, well, what could I have done to persuade the person? Well, the reality is sometimes the situation dictates that a deal should have never been made. And really, when you think about the difficult conversation, you all comported yourself perfectly in this situation. When we think about what should have happened is that in order to persuade you, he would have had to do a lot of homework probably over the course of many years to shore up your concerns, to eliminate the legitimate red flags. Yes. And then you would have been able to actually have a, a legitimate consideration of whether or not you would actually do it. Well, yes. And also because he was so passionate about his position, uh, he would get uh, combative if anybody challenged his safety. So I didn't even open the door to a negotiation. What I did is in April, he asked me for dates in May and then in May, those those operations, the two dates that he gave me, uh, postponed due to weather to the June eighteenth date of this of this trip. Yeah, and uh, I said, well, you know, even though the the reason that we weren't going to go is safety concerns, uh, I said I have scheduling conflict. Let's revisit it next year uh, because I knew if I raised safety concerns, it would just be, it's a just be an argument. It's just be an argument. So I didn't even open the door for that negotiation because I knew that he was going to be combative and defensive. Yeah. Right. So I just I just said, let's revisit it next year. Scheduling conflicts, too little notification. And uh, let's look at next season. It's a seasonal thing. So he'd only do it like May, June, July. So yeah. I'm, I missed this year. Oh, well, there's always next year. Let's revisit it next year. You know, one thing I found is that when we when we have these difficult conversations in our business life, in our personal life, there are always opportunities and there are opportunities to learn and grow. But in order to avail ourselves to those opportunities, we have to be humble. Now, what we're seeing here is there was a significant lack of humility on the other side. And a lot of times we focus so heavily on getting our point across, focusing on our agenda, winning on our terms, that we fail to realize that sometimes the other side has some very legitimate points that reveal something about ourselves that let us know that we are actually, in fact, the person who needs to change. And yeah. so yeah. he passed on that opportunity of education, which is really, really unfortunate in this situation. Yeah, he, he because he was so passionate in his belief in his position that he wouldn't even engage in the discussions. Just anybody who, and so you have every industry expert saying, don't do it. And he said, none of you know what you're talking about. Hmm. Yeah, there's, there's nobody that was supportive of what he was doing. 
except for PH, who is the second person on the subway. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's, there's so much to learn here. So much to learn here. And I, I appreciate both of you for, for taking the time and doing this media tour to, to get the word out because it's so important. And I feel like a lot of people struggle in these tough conversations. And you all have given us a really great example of how to stand up for yourself, set effective boundaries and make good decisions because of it. So I appreciate that. Yeah, I mean, for, me, for me, the takeaway is, I, this is my, my closing sentence in the post that I wrote. Yeah, t- tomorrow is not promised, right? So, you know, today is, uh, today is really more valuable than most people realize. Right? And for every single one of us, there's going to come a time that tomorrow doesn't come. We don't know when that time is. So today is more important than people realize. And live your life to the fullest. Because tomorrow is never promised, live your life to the fullest. But if you do these experiences that involve risk, take calculated risk. Do it safely. Do your research, do your homework, look into it. Absolutely. Don't get Jay. something. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. And again, people fall fall under that pressure. They fold under that pressure, those bullying tactics too. So again, another important element of this message. So Jay, Sean, really appreciate you taking the time today. Thank you. Anytime. Super nice to meet you. Likewise. Cool, man. Y'all are awesome. So are you. Congratulations, you've just joined an elite club. By listening to a full episode, you're now officially on the Negotiate Anything team. So welcome aboard. What most team members do is they subscribe to the podcast because that allows them to automatically get the latest episodes of the show. The best things in life lie on the other side of difficult conversations. Keep learning, keep practicing, and keep getting better. Your relationships will improve, your career will soar, and you'll have the confidence you need to get the most out of these crucial conversations. Again, thank you for joining the team. We're excited to have you, and I will see you in the next episode. I'll catch you later.